All right, Trinity Church, how you doing? Yeah, doing well. Good to see you today. I was going to tell you to please uh, thank the worship team, but you just did, but you could do it again. We're grateful for them. And you know, when it comes to, they'll, they'll come back out and join us and help wrap up our service today. But when it comes to something like a weekend worship service, there's a lot of moving parts to make that happen. And I was reminded recently, just the idea, and I have this, when we start our time together on a Sunday morning, we start as a whole team, not just worship team, but productions. So the people who are doing the sound and the lighting and the cameras, that whole business. And I just often don't think to have you thank them. So could you thank that group today? We're just very grateful for them and what they do. One of the things you might have noticed in our Connections magazine or in our program that there is a need for more camera operators. We had uh, Dan helping us out first time last service, did a great job. So if you want to be involved in helping with our productions team, that'd be a great way to get involved as well and serve. It's great to be with you today. We're going to get right to it. If you have a worship folder, you can open it. There are some message notes inside, and you can get that kind of situated. Follow along with us. If you um, have a Bible today, James chapter 1, kind of like a broken record. That's where we've been at throughout this series. We're just taking a little bit at a time. And we're looking at this series. We've called it 2020, Clarity When You Need It Most. And the idea of what we're behind is, is that what James is providing us week to week in this series, he's not solving our problems. He's not presenting this cute little answer, this thing to say, hey, here's, here's um, just how everything goes away. All the bad goes away and everything good. What he's providing us, though, is clarity. He's providing us with perspective so that hopefully ahead of time when we're hearing these these words on the weekend, then as we project into the week, we actually can be prepared. We can be ready for the situations that we face. Because James, one thing that's incredibly consistent is that he's talking about the things we're walking in. He's talking about our lives, the things that we face. So that's our goal throughout this series is to kind of prepare you in advance with clarity when the waters are very muddy. When emotions are running high, when challenges have you just stopped, that's the clarity when you need it the most. And we've just been finding so many great truths and help within the book of James that it's just been exciting. We started this series talking about purposeful pain. And is there any point to the challenges that you face? And we found that God is after something. God is producing in you a perseverance and and ultimately producing people that are mature and complete, not lacking anything. We talked about the idea of sincere wisdom, that in those moments when we lack wisdom, when we say, God, I don't know what to do, we ask the question, not looking to God as one member of a chorus of voices in our lives, but we recognize who he is as the creator of the universe, all wise God, and we come to him preloaded with the answer, yes. God, whatever you say about whatever I'm going through, yes is the answer. Just tell me what I need to do. We talked about genuine identity, finding who we are in whose we are, and finding that in that God-reliableness of our standing, not in our day-to-day fluctuating, unreliable status that we may have. Rick Langer was here and talked about good suffering and through the midst of the changes and the challenges that we face, being able to continue to put one foot in front of the next because we have the hope of heaven, the crown of righteousness that awaits us as we continue to trust Jesus. 
And last weekend, if you were here, we talked about what we called true temptation. True in the sense of understanding where it comes from. And recognizing that it never comes from God. God's never a tempter. Instead, it actually comes from us. And in the midst of that, to recognize the best thing to do when we see the bait bobbing in front of us is to swim away. That's been our series so far. And today really just kind of is part B to last weekend. If you remember, if you might have been here with us, today we launch into this idea of the goodness. The goodness of God and how every good and perfect gift flows from him. And if you remember, if you were here with us last weekend, one of the things that we began just to kind of scratch the surface of is that not only in recognizing where temptation comes from, but really the reason why temptation may have a hold on you and a hold on me is because in the very moment that we're considering following the bait, we're believing two things at the same time. Idea number one, we're believing that the bait that we're looking at, not recognizing there's a hook inside, But the bait that we're looking at, the shiny thing looks better, looks pleasurable, looks like where real joy and satisfaction is going to be found. That's the reason we're following it. But then the second truth is also there that in the same moment, we're not believing in the goodness of God. We're not believing that his design, that his plan is really what we ought to set our face towards. And instead, we're setting aside his goodness to follow what we think we'll find in our own. That basic reality is happening every time we bite on the hook, every time we pursue temptation away from the plan of God. And so today we're going to go there. We're going to dive into this idea of what the Bible teaches us of how God is good. And I can't wait to get there with you in that idea because to me, this wasn't always the way I thought of God. This wasn't the way that I always thought of who he was growing up in church And I'm not blaming the churches I went to. I'm not saying it's someone else's fault. I'm not even saying one of the the pastors ever said this. But I somehow walked away with the idea that the image of God in my mind was primarily that of a God who sits behind a very big desk, like a judge, real high and exalted. And I was way down here on the ground. And as I would look up to him, he would constantly have that look of disgust on his face. He'd have a very big gavel in his hand and he'd pound it and he would say, wrong He'd pound it and he'd say sin. He'd pound it and he'd say fail. And this is how I began to understand the character of God. And you got to understand, and like you already know, not very attractive. That's not a God I want to cozy up to. That's a God who just consistently, continually reminds me of where I fall short. And I want to tell you one thing that's very true about the Bible. The Bible does present God as the just judge does present him as one who is holy and righteous and will not tolerate the presence of sin. That image, in a sense, wasn't altogether wrong, but the thing that I constantly forgot and failed to remember is that this very same judge, when he would look at me, he actually looks over here at his son. And he, I'm telling him now, as I recognize this whole reality of what salvation is, he looks at me, he looks at his son, and I say, I'd rather him take my place. And the son says, absolutely, I've already done it. And now when the father sees me, he sees his son. And justice has been met. My debt has been paid. And Jesus is the one who did it. Amen. Yay, God. 
Let's say that together. One, two, three. Yay, God. That is great news. And so that's the goodness of God, even from the very beginning, back to the point of salvation. And today what we're going to find is this same good, good father is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And I want to, I want to explore that with you today. I want you to walk away not only with a sense of more knowledge about the goodness of God, I want you to walk away with a bit of emotion about the goodness of God because the goodness of God ought to elicit that. It ought to well up inside of us to just stop and say, I have no idea why you're so good to me. I surely don't deserve it. I'm that guy in that chair. And by the way, remember I keep pointing to the aisle. So if you're, I'm not pointing at anyone right there. I don't deserve it. But thank you, God, for being such a good, good father. When we're tempted to pull away, when we're tempted to look at the shiny thing, I was thinking through that lens, and you'll hear me talk a little more about this today, about the idea, just the the recognition of God as father. What, What does that even mean, to think of God as father? How do we do that? We'll unpack that in a moment, but the image is clear to a parenting picture. I remember when Jackson was three years old, I was a youth pastor up in Oregon, and the way that my office door would open up onto a parking lot. So every Sunday after church, we'd kind of walk through the hallway, open up onto this parking lot. I'm holding his hand because I know what he wants to do. From a very young age, he thought it would be really fun to play tag with the cars in the parking lot. And I'm a good dad in the sense that I know he only plays that game once and he loses. Right? So when we walk out of the door, I'm holding his hand, and, and here's Jackson. He's, he's holding his hand to this, this tall person over here, and all he can do is lean and reach and stretch and go, you don't get it. That's where fun is. And as I'm clamping down on this hand, not letting him go, I do so because I have his best in mind. Not because I want to make his day horrible, not because I don't want to let him have fun. If you would begin to see today that God's design is truly good. His gifts to you are truly good. His gifts to you don't have hidden hooks. His gifts to you aren't the kind that keep you dying and craving for more, like drinking salt water that constantly initially looks like it's wet, it's going to be good, and oh, it just makes you more and more thirsty. Like C.S. Lewis said last week, it is not an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. His gifts are good. Take a look at the quote. It really begins this way today. As we start, we consider the idea of discontentment and its hold on us. The very first temptation in the history of mankind was a temptation to be discontent. That is exactly what discontentment is, a questioning of the goodness of God. And today what we want to move through is past the questioning to the reality. God is good, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Here's our now what. What do I do with today? I tell you it from the very beginning so it can be on your brain all the way through. Be assured that your good, good father is the source of every good, good gift. Number one in your notes today, deception is necessary for temptation to gain a hold on you. Deception is necessary for temptation to gain a hold on you. So kind of curiously worded. What are we talking about? Verse 16 of chapter 1 of James. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Very short, very concise, very to the point. 
Don't be deceived. Let's talk about a couple of things. First off, I think it's interesting and powerful that James, now this is the second time out of a total of three, three times in the very first chapter of James, he's going to address his audience, not as his readers, not as the recipients of a letter. He's going to address them as brothers and sisters. Today is very family. Very familial language being used in James, not only about our father, but about our co-relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so James is going to start using that language. And, and by doing so, what he's also doing is he's reminding them, I get it. Everything I'm sharing with you, I engage like you do. I'm a fellow brother to this family of God. And so as a fellow brother who engages this, this reality that we are made one, not because of things we do, not because of a club we've joined, we're made one because of that great brother, Jesus, and what he's done on our behalf, he brings us together. And out of that unity that we find in Christ, this is the very first words. James says, don't be deceived. And the time that we're getting to know each other, you're learning about me that I make much of what just grammatically are called imperative verbs. Imperative verbs in the Bible ought to catch your attention. They ought to be something that are very important to you because here's what's happening. The Bible's not making a suggestion. God is not painting a picture. God is saying, pay attention and do this. This is a command. This is a directive. And the other thing that's important about that is that we recognize that within the character and nature of God, he never asks you to do something you cannot do. So don't be deceived is given not as some like, oh, generically, you know, pay good attention to the truth. He's saying, go out of your way, volitionally do what it takes to not be deceived. Watch this, as though you can control that. As though you can take steps to do something about that. The question would be this, directed to not be deceived by what? This passage today flows exactly, not only just obviously as you read your Bible, but so much in thought. It's the part B to last week's part A. Don't be deceived by temptation. Don't be deceived by temptation source. We found out last week that like trials are things that come into our lives from the outside to test and to grow our faith. However, temptation we found actually originates inside of us. We have a broken, a fallen nature that by nature wants the things God hates. If you're a part of the human race, you have one of those, just like I do. And so that's where temptation, the source of it actually has the ability to draw us, the ability to actually cause us to want something is that we're already hardwired as it were in our fallen nature to want it. Then the sequence, the strategy of temptation, we saw that verb dragged away and enticed. This is hunting language. We use the fishing pole with purpose that, that bait is put on the hook and it's called to draw you out from where you're safe. Looking very, very alluring and forgetting every single time there's a very sharp hook embedded within. And then we saw the end game of temptation that now as I'm tempted to do something, sin hasn't happened yet. Sin happens when I bite on the hook. Sin happens when I engage and it get, temptation gives birth to sin. Sin gives birth to death. That's the end game of temptation where it's headed. James says, don't be deceived by what temptation seems to promise. It overpromises what it can never deliver. Don't be deceived by that. Instead, 
consciously continue to put to mind what we're about to look at next. Number two in your notes, every good thing that has entered your life flows from the goodness of God. Every good thing that has ever entered your life flows from the goodness of God. In your notes or just on the screen, I just want you to look at that phrase for just a second. Consider the magnitude of those words. Every good thing you have ever experienced comes from the hand of God. I want to tell you this. If you're here today and you aren't yet following Jesus, it's not a decision you've responded to yet today. I want to tell you just as true as that would be for someone sitting near you who has put their faith in Christ, who is following him. This, this statement is just as true for you. Every good thing you have ever come in contact with, ever experienced in your life, comes from a God who is good. That is a powerful truth to stop and think upon because one of the things that God is doing in your life right now, though you may be in a valley, he is using those good things to demonstrate to you he has your good in mind. It's his goodness It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And we are so glad that God draws us that way. Chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it reminds me that these good things that I love to experience, I love to enjoy, they come from a source. They have a giver. And guess what? Now I know who to thank. So good. So good that I would know this. I would, I would sit there and consider this reality. God is the giver of good things in my life. Not per chance. Not because I worked hard for them. Not because I got lucky. God is the source. James begins this passage very definitively, every good and perfect gift. There's not much that you can leave out of that statement. Not just the good things that happen on Tuesdays, not just the good things that happen when you're being good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the hand of God. Notice the kinds of gifts that God gives. They're good and they're perfect. The Greek word here for good, it emphasizes the intention that motivates the giving and the chain reaction of giving and responding. It's kind of a loaded word. Let me read it again. It it emphasizes the intention that motivates the giving, where the giving comes from, and the chain reaction of giving and responding. The giving of these kind of good gifts, it's meant to elicit a response to those who receive them. Interesting, the word perfect. You've actually seen this word before. In our very first weekend on this series, chapter 1, verse 4, that you might become mature and perfect, mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's the very same Greek word that we see there. And and this good describes the very nature of God's gifts. God giving a gift with the intent of eliciting a response and the fact that they're perfect, the fact that they're complete, there's no baited hook. They don't overpromise. They actually provide even that and more than what you were expecting. This is the great way to describe what these gifts are all about. But I want to say this today, maybe the most important word in that entire verse that we read is the word gift. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Do you know, parents give gifts to their kids. Employers expect employees to work for them. 
Both of those illustrations are accurate and true and they're fine. But I want to help you today. God is not your employer. God is not a God you're trying to impress by doing more and more good things for him and thus trying to get something back. If you look at the heart of every religious system, every religious system aside from biblical Christianity is all about a bartering system. God, if I do X, I will rub the lamp right and you'll do Y. It's always about that. What you can do to merit some kind of goodness from a God who's stingy and doesn't want to give. Do you get this? This is the opposite of that whole concept. God is good, desires to give good and perfect gifts to you and does. This is so awesome. This is the God of the Bible. This is his nature and this is his way. And this gift giving perspective is so very important that we grab onto it rather than thinking, God, how can I do more to get from you? It's never been a part of the way the Bible explains God. We said earlier today, the language here in James 1 is very familial. We're talking about not just God, but a father is the language used. And then we're also talking about brothers and sisters. So very, very family-esque. And you'll remember from the very first weekend that I came and candidated here at Trinity Church, I gave a message about the fatherhood of God. I love this picture. I love what it presents. I love what it helps us see. I love how it helps us know how to relate. Jesus himself, how did he consistently refer to the first member of the Trinity while he was on earth was not boss, was not even king or Lord. Even though he is, he consistently referred to him as my father and I, your son. So this word picture is replete throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. And to me, it sings. But I want to say something today. Every time I talk about the fatherhood of God, I'm very cautious for who's in the room. Because for some of us, maybe many of us, you have taken the lack of relationship you have with a father, you've taken the horrible relationship you've had with a father, and you transfer that to God. And so rightly so, from that line of thinking, you would say today, the last thing I want to think about when it comes to God is him being my father. Because I don't want to ever redo that. And I want you to hear something from me today that I hope is helpful to you. I would, I would suggest just the opposite. If there's anyone on the planet who has need, who has desire, who has interest in having that father-shaped void filled, it's you. If anyone on the planet needs to know a good, good father, it's you because you haven't had, had, had one. I was three had, sorry, blew it. Had that all dialed in in my head. But you get this. The, 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 the dad vacuum or void should not create problems with you seeing God as father, but it should do just the opposite. God, you say that you are a perfect heavenly father. Even the best dad that any one of you ever had doesn't even begin to compare to how great he is. But in that vacuum and in that void, watch this. I want to know you as a father that I never knew. I have, at times, an overwhelming amount of hurt that I really believe you can fill and that you can overflow. 
And so I want to encourage you, if that's you here today and you bristled from the very moment we talked about God as Father, I want to encourage you, spend some time pursuing that idea. Spend some time in your Bible, even if it's like a simple word search about Father, and look that up. Look up the phrases. Look at the times when God presents himself as Father. One of my all-time favorites is in the beginning of Deuteronomy. Like a father, he says to the nation of Israel, I carried you through the desert. What a beautiful word picture. This good, good father that we're talking about today, you can know him in that intensely intimate kind of relationship. The creator of the universe presents him that way to you, invites you to know him. I love that. Look at the way he's described a very unique lens. It says the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. This isn't a reference to heavenly lights like heaven, heaven. It's a, it's a reference instead of like celestial, like the heavenlies kind of lights, the sun, the stars, that kind of idea. So this father of heavenly lights is understood not to be a part of the heavens, but the one who gave them birth, the one who created them and who will not vary, who will not vacillate like shifting shadows that are formed when those lights shift. As our planet earth rotates around the sun throughout the day today, your shadows will at time be short and then they will be long. That is a change. This is a reference to the immutability the unchanging nature of God, he does not vary from Sunday to Tuesday. And by the way, parents, hadn't planned on saying this, but I want to be, I want to be helpful to parents along the way. This is one of the things that is so absolutely confusing to your kids. When you tell them it's okay to do something on Sunday, but then you tell them it's not okay on Tuesday and you have no good reason why. You're fickle. You are what this is. You vary. And, and you don't have something to attach to. It's perfectly legitimate to say yes on Sunday and no on Tuesday when there's a legitimate reason and you could even maybe put it into words. But if you're just going to keep banging on the drama because I said so and you just are fickle in the way you parent, your kids are confused. And your kids don't know when something's really okay and when it's really not. They just don't know what mood to catch you in. Here's the great news. God is never in a bad mood. He's a good, good father, and he's not fickle. And by the way, please don't hear me talking critically to you as a parent as though I've got this figured out. No, no. I've just learned through enough family counseling that I do with families, this is a huge problem in homes when kids never know if it's really okay or really not okay because it's just the mood you're in. Think about that and parent consistently. And why? Because your good, good father does. Use him as an example. I want to give you a gift today, a gift you never give yourself, the gift of time. Beginning of the new year-ish, in the first couple of days of January, we did something we'd never done as a family before, and we took some time, and we all took a, a pad of paper, and we just took some moments to write down what were some of the things that we're grateful for from this last year, from 2016. And if you know our family, you know a lot of things happened in 2016, and there's a lot of things to be thankful for. You're at the top of my list. So as we wrote this out, and as we took time to do this, we realized that it took us about a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, just to both write down and then recount around the room. What are some of the things that you would say, God, I'm really grateful you brought this into my life last year. And I will tell you, it was one of the best things we have done and ever. So we love doing that. So I, I want to invite you into our family today, in your notes, 
You have a space intentionally set aside for this. And what I want you to do, you don't have to do it based on 2016. You can just do it a snap in time today. What are some things that you would say, God, I recognize this good and perfect gift is from you. I'm going to tell you if you're married, your spouse's name better be on there. I'm going to tell you if you're a parent, your parent, your kids' names better be on there. But I don't want you to hyper-spiritualize this either. You know what's on my list? On my list was Joanna, Jackson, Aaliyah, uh, Kendallin, Ellie, and chocolate peanut butter ice cream. Because I really think that is of the Lord. Okay? <laughs> so, so here's what I want you to do. I want you, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to give you some time. I want you to write out some things. These are just examples. It won't be exhaustive of some of the good and perfect gifts that you recognize are from the hand of God. As you continue to write, realize that this list, by the way, might be really powerful to share at your home group this week. You'll have a moment like we had in my home where you'll be so excited to hear what other people would recognize. This is from the hand of God. So I'd encourage you, if you're in a home group, take some time within your group this week to just share maybe a little bit from your list. You don't have to share everything, but um, that'd be good. I'm going to let you keep writing. If you just want to keep writing till I'm done today, you can do that and not pay attention to me. You'll be better served that way than paying attention at this point. But I really want you to do that. And here's the great news. When you have this list, guess what? As a result of today, you know who to thank. Gratitude flows from a recognition of the goodness of God. It is instantaneous. It just makes sense. And the great news is now you know who to thank. Number three in our notes today, reminding yourself of God's goodness will remind you of whose you are. Reminding yourself of God's goodness will remind you of whose you are. Verse 18 of chapter 1. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might become a kind of first fruits of all that he created. The first words are very powerful, very poignant. He chose. He chose. The, the, the understanding of that Greek word simply means to plan with full resolve. God is going to get this done. He chose you. He's going to accomplish what he's after. Such a cool, should be refreshing, encouraging thought. God is the hound of heaven. He's after you. And he chose you to bring you into his family. The vehicle of our birth is stated, it's the word of truth. Four other times within the New Testament, that phrase is found. And every single time, it relates to the gospel. It relates to this incredible news that Jesus lived a sinless life. That he died a sacrificial death. That he was raised supernaturally on the third day, all for you. We talked about, he's the guy over here today. That's who God looks at when he looks at you, when you put your faith in Jesus. That's the word of truth. So Jesus is one, this one of a kind son. He was brought, he is the ability of what brings you and I from spiritual death into spiritual life by birthing you through the gospel. The gospel is this agent of birth. Now that word, by the way, is a word we saw last week, a couple times. Back up in verse 15, if you remember the passage, the, the, the flow of temptation was temptation is there. It elicits a response. That gives birth to sin. Sin gives birth to death. It's the exact same word back up in verse 15. So obviously James is following this line of thought. Temptation has a genealogy. It has a birth order of what comes next. But watch this. So does truth. Truth doesn't give birth to sin and death. Truth gives birth to new creations, new children who are the first fruits of all that God has put together. Now that word first fruits would have been a common word to remember James's audience were Jews who have become Jesus followers. 
Former Jews, now Jesus followers. So in the former covenant, in the Old Testament, the word first fruit shows up a lot within the law. It refers to the first portion of the harvest that was given to God. That was the first fruits. So James's audience is super well accustomed to that word. In his commentary in the book of James, Douglas Moo put it this way. He said, God's grace has been extended through the gospel to people so as to bring into existence a foretaste or down payment, the first fruits, as it were, of a redemptive plan that will eventually encompass all creation. What a cool word picture. We are the first fruits. We are the front end, the early adopters, the down payment on everything that's going to be redeemed and made new. He begins with us. And this great picture of how God is this good, good father. The reality that when we recognize that it was the gospel that first gave us birth, the gospel that first put us into the family of God, Every time we think of the goodness of God, we think of the good, good father who gives it to us. We're reminded of whose we are. Identity, identity, identity. That is something you have heard from my mouth before. You'll hear it again. It is to me a central piece of the reality of the gospel, how it's supposed to change you and transform you is that you find your identity no longer in other things, but now simply in whose you are in Christ. And to finish today, look at this great quote from Tozer. He says, With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare and the wisdom of God to plan it and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Look at this. Surely we are the most favored of all creatures. What a great humbling gratitude kind of statement to make. God, you have every good intention. You have every good wisdom. You have every good power to make it happen. How blessed we are. So our now what for this week, be assured that your good, good father is the source of every good, good gift. Let me pray. Father, we come to you today. So very thankful for this truth specifically, not just the truth of scripture, but this truth that you are good. And out of your goodness flows good gifts into your children's lives. And God, help us. This is the problem. This is the disconnect. When we're in moments of temptation, we're not only buying the lie that that shiny thing is where true joy is found, but instead, at the same time, we're also disbelieving that your design is good. Father, forgive us. And Father, help us keep fixated, keep focused on the fact that you by nature are good and what you do and bring into our lives is good. That's where we want to anchor. That's where we want to live. That's where we'll thrive. If you're here today and you would say, you know what? I, I've honestly never made this decision to follow Jesus. I might know a lot of things about him. I might even theoretically think that God is good, but I've never actually stepped into his goodness by stepping into his family, by being birthed by the word of truth. The great news is if that's who you are today, you can change that. And it's not by going to a bunch of classes and by doing a bunch of good things. You can change that right now by simply admitting. Admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Believing that Jesus is the only savior available. This Jesus we've talked about today, the one of a kind, unique son of God, He took your punishment and he simply wants to let you be found in him. 
See is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to walk your path. I want to know and live in this goodness that comes from the Father. Father, you are indeed good. We are so grateful. We rally around that. We're grateful to you today. Help us walk in that goodness this week. And we pray in your great name. Amen.